Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Max Fedden, joined by Bob Dylan and Nick Stevens. On tonight's episode, we welcome Paul Glazer of Baseball America, who's here to help us break down the Baltimore Orioles farm system, which his publication recently ranked as the second best in the game. And we'll get to that in a moment. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third generation family business. It was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So tonight's guest is a national writer over at Baseball America. He is Kyle Glazer. Kyle, how are you? Doing all right. Thanks for having me, guys. Our pleasure to have you on. So just to start off, we'll go with the big news of the day, which is a promotion of Michael Ballman, uh, who's getting the call up from AAA Norfolk to the major leagues. Uh, just kind of give us a sense of what your uh, thoughts are on Ballman and um, – a little bit of that question that's been on a lot of fans' minds, which is, do you see him more as a starter or a reliever? That's the million-dollar question. I think it's a situation where you let him start until he shows you he can't. Uh, someone who's had a lot of success in the minor leagues, and Lord knows the Orioles need as many starters as they can get. Um, I wish I could give you a more definitive answer, but so many of these guys, it's really just – let them, let them show you what they can do. I think given his success as a starter at AAA this year in particular, uh, it's only it was only six starts down there, but it was good to see he was able to uh, really last deep into starts against some upper-level hitters. Now, the walks were higher than you wanted them to be. That is the story with him and has been for a while, as well as being mostly a two-pitch guy. But, look, there's a lot of pitchers. Development doesn't stop the moment they reach the major leagues. Development continues in the majors, so – Bring him up, let him start. That's what he's done his whole career, and see if he can stick. Nice. Love to hear it. We're definitely excited because, as you mentioned, uh, watching the pitching staff this year has been kind of rough at the major league level. Um, yes. but, but I want to uh, zoom out a little bit, just talk about minor league baseball as a whole. You wrote an article it's a couple of weeks ago now uh, over at Baseball America about the quality of play across minor league baseball, especially at the lower levels of the minor leagues and how it, it had been kind of rough this year compared to previous seasons. Um, what impact do you think this is going to have on development over the next couple of years as teams and players continue to feel the impacts of, of the pandemic? Yeah, so I think in terms of just this year, and we've seen it already, it just means that when guys come up to the major leagues, there's a bit of a bigger gap from what they were seeing in AAA to the majors, and it's going to take more time to get acclimated. Very, very, very few prospects this year have come up and made an immediate impact. You know, Wander Franco is an exception, but he was the number one prospect in baseball. On the whole, I would say that it means there's going to be more lag time between major league debuts and 
you know, when you start to see some of the things that made these players a top prospect, you know, Jared Kalanick's a great example where it took him a little longer than a lot of people would have expected. So it's always wise to be patient with prospects, but that's especially true now that when they come up, do not expect instant stardom. Expect it to take even longer than it normally does. And in terms of beyond this year, it's going to be tough. A lot of these kids miss some really, really fundamental developmental steps by not having the season last year. And a lot of teams just forced him up to higher levels anyway. I think we're going to start to see a lot of these kids maybe struggle once we see them hit double A, triple A, especially because some of those foundational pieces were never put in place. I have a difficult you know, time seeing too many players coming out of this pandemic better than they would have been without it, obviously, for health reasons, but also just purely developmental. I think, unfortunately, it will mean a lot of guys who maybe were on the cusp or the fringe of, hey, you know, maybe with some more development, he can get there. They never got that development, and thus they're not going to get there. Just uh, on the built off of that point, do you think that this is going to affect one type of prospect more than the other, or is someone who is a top 100 not going to be affected in the same way as someone who's maybe ranking outside the top 30 in his own farm system? It's going to affect players at the lower levels, independent of rankings, just because a lot of the guys who had already had success at AA, AAA, knew what the preparation was like, knew what it was like to face those upper level, you know, what it took to succeed at the upper levels, and saw what it was like before the pandemic when they were playing a higher quality of baseball. Um, those guys aren't going to be as affected by it. It's the guys who were first-year draftees, guys who just signed out of the Dominican or Venezuela and were set to get started in the DSL. It's guys who maybe played rookie ball in 2019, would have made the jump to short season in 2020, but instead they got rushed up to go play full season ball in 2021 when they just weren't ready for it. I think it's going to adversely impact guys who are at the lowest levels. And, and we're seeing that. The quality of play in double and triple A this year, it's down compared to recent years, but at the lowest levels, low A, high A, that's where it's really, really apparent. And I think that's going to be the case long-term. A lot of these kids uh, did not get in the crucial developmental steps they needed. And I don't know if there's a way that you can really recover from that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, how going back towards the Orioles in general, how would you evaluate the Orioles system as a whole? Um, what are its strengths? What are its weaknesses? Yeah, I mean, obviously the Orioles farm system has gotten better now. The price of that is the major league team has gotten awful in so many ways. And, and this is the tack they took, which was, hey, we're going to steer into a rebuild and really, really try and bulk up the farm system and be as bad as possible in the major leagues to get as many high draft picks as we can. So on the one hand, it's a really promising sign that the Orioles have the number two farm system. At the same time, when you take the track they did, you better have a really good farm system. Otherwise, you really messed up. So um, in terms of strengths, you know, they've done a pretty good job of being fairly well-rounded. You know, obviously you have Adley Rutschman behind the plate. Uh, You've got a couple of really good arms. You have some good infielders. You have some good outfielders. So I think the Orioles have done a nice job of really creating kind of a complete system where it's not, oh, we're really, really heavy on outfielders, but we're really light middle infielders. They've done a nice job being well-rounded. Uh, now it's just a matter of developing these guys and helping them be the best big leaguers they can be sooner rather than later. And obviously it's exciting to be that high up in the rankings, especially for a rebuilding team. But how important is that based on recent history? What's the typical trajectory for an organization after its farm system ranks among the, the best in the game? So I did a study on this a few years ago. Teams that were ranked number one in the organization talent rankings, uh, it was 14 of 15 
were in the playoffs within two years of that designation. If you update it for the last two years, it would now be 16 of 17 have been in the playoffs within two years of that designation. The one who didn't make it within two years was the 2009 Royals, who ended up, or excuse me, the 2011 Royals, who ended up making the World Series in years three and four. So when you're a number one farm system, you're pretty much a lock to be in the playoffs within the next three years, which is what we've seen, at least precedent-wise. Now, the Orioles are number two. It's not as strong for number two as it is for number one. And to be clear, the Orioles were in contention for number one, but it wasn't like it was neck and neck. The Mariners had a decent edge. So the best case scenario would be for this team to be in the playoffs two years from now. Realistically, a lot is going to have to go right for that to happen. But generally speaking, once you get up to this level in a farm system, a playoff appearance does tend to come together within two or three years unless you really, really mess some things up. So the 2023 mantra that Orioles fans have been hanging on to for the last couple of years uh, might be looking good, um, hopefully. Uh, I want to talk about specific players uh, now. And Kobe Mayo is a guy who's having an excellent debut season. Uh, can you envision him as someone who cracks the top 100 prospect list within the next couple of years? Sure. Again, there's definitely some things to like there. Um, you know, he's, he's a big power guy, just a big guy in general. Anytime you're, you know, 6'5", 215, and, and it's easy power. You know, speaking to some evaluators last year, um, they wanted to see how some of the, maybe the pure hit ability would play once he got to higher levels. Now, when I say last year, I mean it instructs. I'm looking through some of the reports this year. Again, he's someone that people absolutely like, and they're on the, he's on the radar. Um, but there's still some long-term projection here. I think, again, you're, you're really seeing huge raw power, still working on pitch selection, um, wanting to see how his hit skill, his hit ability really plays at higher levels. Because in low A, especially right now, you're just seeing fastballs. You're really not seeing spin, and the spin you are seeing isn't very good. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a long projection, but is it possible he's a top 100 prospect in a year or two? Certainly. Um, and he's on everyone's radar. He's just not a guy where you look and say, oh, gosh, he's on the cusp. There's still a little bit more he has to prove against higher level pitching. That makes a lot of sense. We had a listener question from Dave who was asking you about the recent waiver claim, Jorge Mateo, and what you think he could bring to the team if there's still potential there. He's off to a hot start or if it's kind of just, you know, he's a utility player on a decent team. Uh, he's the 26th man on a roster. I've, I've gotten to know Jorge Mateo uh, for a long time now, especially uh, once the Padres acquired him. He's a, a pinch runner who, you know, you can move around the outfield a little bit. He's off to a hot start. Um, it's also been 101 plate appearances. And this is just a guy who his career throughout the minors and majors uh, has never really shown much of an ability to hit or hit consistently. Um, his tool grades, as some evaluators graded them out before the year, was a 20 hit with 30 power, but an 80 runner. So if he's on the next competitive Orioles team, it's as the 26th man on the roster, you know, stealing bases and filling in as a, as a defensive replacement. And maybe depending on the matchup, you, you see him as a pinch hitter. So looking down in, in the farm system now, talking about two really young players that were signed um, as international free agents, and that's Michael Hernandez and Samuel Basayo. Uh, Baseball America both had both of them fairly high in their most recent rankings. I believe Hernandez was 11th and Basayo was 16th. Um, what are your thoughts on those players and what can we realistically expect in their development over the next year or two? Yeah, two very, very young players with, with a long way to go. 
you know, we look at Hernandez, one of the things that came up, and given this, you know, comes from maybe a bit of a biased perspective, but there are people who thought that, you know, if he was in the draft, he would have been right there with some of the top high school shortstops in the draft this year. Um, he's someone the Orioles are very, very excited about. You can find people in the Orioles organization who think he does belong near the back of their top 10. You're really, really projecting a long way here, but you know, if everything comes out the way the Orioles hope, I mean, there's a chance for a guy who's just a really good player around the board. You know, maybe not a big plus tool, but you know, if you're an above average hitter with average pop and you know, you play a pretty good shortstop and can run at, at least an above average clip, that's a really good, well-rounded player. Again, nothing crazy. There's not some huge tool there, but um, a really good player who does a lot of things well is is very very valuable, and that's really what the Orioles are hoping for. Um, you know, he's really the guy. Um, anytime you're talking about young international catchers like Basayo is, um, it's just such a long track record. I, I mean, it's such a long path. Uh, some of these guys take seven years, eight years. He's toolsy. They, there's things to get excited about, but he's a very 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 long ways away. Um, you know, this is someone that I would say, if you're an Orioles fan, we're in 2021 right now. He's a 16-year-old catcher. In, tw- in seven years, he'll still be 23. So check back toward the end of the decade. It's a really, really long projection. And, you know, seven, eight years is, is actually not abnormal for international catchers to make their mark. Looking at players that are a little bit more near term now, uh, seems like Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rutzman will have graduated by this time next year, if not a little bit earlier. Um, and what do you think the Orioles farm system would look like at that point? And is there anyone in your mind that would be poised to be a top 50 prospect in the game, say? Yeah, well, obviously, after they graduate Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez, this farm system ranking is going to drop pretty considerably, but for the right reasons. The whole point of prospects is to have players who get to the major leagues. So would you rather be the number two farm system with these two guys in the minors or the number 10 farm system with these two guys in the majors? The right answer to that question is the number 10 farm system with these two guys in the majors. So um, they're going to drop. These are two of the the 10 or so best prospects in baseball. And if everything goes according to plan, they should be franchise caliber players for the Orioles for the next decade and beyond. There isn't anyone in the system that right now would be a potential top 10 type of prospect like these two are. Now, D.L. Hall has been a top 50 prospect for us at B.A. Obviously, he needs to get healthy, and the talent is there. The stuff is there. So he's someone that could very well be a top 50 type prospect. Gunnar Henderson shows a lot of tools. Uh, his numbers have not been great since he got promoted to high A Aberdeen. But talking to some scouts, they're seeing a lot of hard contact, a lot of things to like, just a little bit of bad luck. So those are the two guys you look at and you say, yeah, two years from now or a year from now, if – Rushman and Rodriguez are in the majors, and those two guys are your number one and two prospects in your farm system, and they're top 50 prospects in baseball. Yeah, that's very, very possible. Speaking of Gunnar Henderson and his struggles at high A, does that hurt his prospect status at all, or is it just the jump from low A to high A, like you said earlier, with more spin that he's seeing now? Um, does that weigh in there, and it's to be expected? I know Marco Luciano is another guy who's struggled from the jump uh, from low A to high A. Yeah, his prospect stock is holding steady. Uh, he's near the back of our top 100 now. He's staying there. We have another update coming, I believe, in the next few days. And look, the, the tools are still there. The body's still there. This is just an adjustment period. You know, we don't react to every poor stretch upon a promotion. If you did that, you'd, you'd get it wrong because 
you know, guys take time. There's always adjustments. And this is just a young kid with a lot of talent who's adjusting to better pitching, and it'll take some time. But the ability is still there. Evaluators still see it. And he, his prospect stock is holding steady. Good to hear. Um, second base is a position that's becoming more competitive in the Orioles farm system, it seems. Uh, how would you compare guys like Connor, uh, Connor Norby, Jemai Jones, Adam Hall, Taron Vavra? Um, who out of those do you think is the most likely to maybe sustain a everyday second baseman role? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I would say right now people are, are pretty high on Connor Norby. He led Division One in hits this year. Uh, you know, plus hitter, spreads the ball all around the field. There's a lot of things to like in terms of what he can do offensively. And second base, he's solid. So he projects to be the guy right now. However, you know, Jemai Jones does some good things. I knew him very well from the Angel system. For me, he's always been more of a guy who maybe plays a little bit of second, bounce to left, bounce to center, um, more of a complimentary player than a true everyday player. But he's going to get an opportunity to show he can be more. And, you know, some of the other guys you mentioned, there, there is talent there. There's no question. Um, Vavra in particular really does have some goodness for the game, comes from a baseball family. And uh, there are some things to like there. Um, but at this point in time, Norby is generally considered to be the guy moving forward. Nice. Love it. I've been watching a lot of Delmarva games, and I could sit there and watch Connor Norby swing a baseball bat all day long. Um, love it. Uh, looking at the pitching, there was a, a recently an article in The Athletic that uh, showed a lot of skepticism in the Orioles' rebuild because of how the, the quote, cupboard is bare once you get past a Grace Rodriguez-type pitching prospect in the system. Uh, would you agree with this take? And, and what are your overall opinions of the pitching depth that the Orioles have in their farm system right now? Sure. So the old rule of you need five pitching prospects to get one from the majors. And I would say that, you know, Grayson Rodriguez and, and DL Hall are both really, really good pitchers. And if they reach their potential, then the Orioles are going to have a very good one and two or two and three. Um, hopefully the Orioles do the right thing and keep John Means. And you know, it's a pretty good top three, but they do need more. The depth here does leave something to be desired. Um, the Orioles have talked Kyle Bradish up a lot. He has gotten better. I still am slightly skeptical of him as the frontline starter type. I think he's more of a back rotation type. And even that, I have some. I have a tough time getting out of my head some of the things I saw when he was at Inland Empire in the Angel system that were just not good at all. But, you know, you look at Bradish, you look at Bauman, um, you know, Carter Baumler's rehabbing from Tommy John's surgery. There is not a tremendous amount of starting pitching depth. So what I would say is if you're the Orioles, yeah, you do need to go out and get more arms. However, you can accomplish that by signing a couple free agents. If, say, like I said, you keep John Means, as hopefully they will and should, if Rodriguez and Hall get up and stay healthy and perform to their capability, you know, you go out and sign two free agent pitchers, that'll work. But there's no question, there's no such thing as too much pitching depth. And the Orioles' pitching prospect depth does not match teams like the Rays, like the Mariners. Uh, so there is some work to do, but it's, I wouldn't call it barren, but it's not great either. What's the word on Gene Pinto uh, for reference? Yeah, um, he's someone who's, who's done some good things. Let me pull up the most recent notes we have on him. Give me one second. Don't want to say anything wrong. No worries. Yeah, I mean, again, there's there's definitely a lot to like here. But, again, you're talking about a guy in low A. And undersized right-handers in low A, um, it, it's hard to count on that as 
oh, this guy's going to be a stud. You, you really, if you have five of those guys or really 10 of those guys, maybe one or two of them will hit. So it's good to see him making the progress he has. The performance is great, but I wouldn't go say, oh, that article isn't correct because we have Gene Pinto. You, you realistically, you need six or seven Gene Pintos to get one of them to become a solid starter in the major leagues. Um Looking at some lefties in particular in this system, there seems to be a a lot of these more, I don't want to call them soft-tossing lefties, I hate that term, but these lefties like Zach Lauthers, your Drew Roms, Alex Wells, Kevin Smith. Um, What are your thoughts on on some of these guys and any one of those in particular stand out to you? Being completely honest, um, not really. (laughs) I mean, so again, there's something to be said for you've got to throw strikes. You've got to have, you know, a feel for pitching. You've got to be able to work in and out, change eye levels. But again, if, if these guys hit, it's as a, a number five starter, which again is valuable. You need good number five starters. It's not just about having good ones and twos. You have to throw competitive starting pitchers out there every single day of the week. But um, again, this, this is a group of pitchers who, like you said, it's not a lot of stuff. They have some feel to pitch, but you know, most of them are in the 20 to 30 range in the Orioles farm system rankings. And, and there's a reason for that. There are more guys who come up, give you a spot start. Maybe if a few things click, you get a, you know, a semi-regular spot starter and the hundred percent outcome is they become, you know, decent fit starters. So again, that's valuable. You need that. Lord knows the Orioles need any capable major league arms they can. Uh, but no, none of these guys are guys you get excited about. You pencil them into your rotation and say, they'll be started for us when we're a playoff team. So one of the things we hear about from our listeners a lot that's kind of a negative is the fact that the top pitching prospects, mainly Grayson Rodriguez, don't have a long lease. Uh, and it seems like the Orioles are you know, keeping strict pitch limits, innings limits on him. Is this something that you're seeing industry-wide this year with teams being more cautious, or is it more limited to the Orioles? Absolutely. Industry-wide, teams are very, very cautious with their pitching prospects. Uh, The Dodgers, for example, they've barely let anyone pitch more than five innings to start this year. This is just, you know, teams are very, very, very wary of overuse of starting pitchers. I would argue they've become too wary, and at a certain point, you need to let these guys learn to get through a lineup a third time. You have to let these guys learn how to pace themselves so that they're still going strong in the seventh and the eighth. And especially a guy like Grayson Rodriguez, who has number one upside. Well, a big part of being a number one is pitching seven, eight innings. If you only throw five innings, you're not a number one. And, and frankly, the Orioles need a guy who can carry the load like that. At the same time, you understand that given the circumstances of last year, um, you know, you want, you want to take it on the cautious side of things. So I understand why the Orioles are doing it. They are not the only team doing it. But at a certain point, they do need to let Rodriguez loose. And I think it's important that they do so next year. Sounds good. And just going back again, it seems like a lot of national writers are taking shots at Michael Elias and the Orioles. seems like they are the, uh, the whatever you want to call it, the token of baseball as a whole for tanking and, you know, non-competitive baseball. Do you think that's uh warranted in the Orioles case or it's just more like frustration in general and this is the most obvious target so I think both can be true at the same time right that there are a lot of frustrations about teams making no attempt to win whatsoever and rightfully so I think you are 
anytime you're putting a AAA caliber product on the field for your fans, you're kind of insulting your fans and charging major league prices. Um, the Orioles are not the first team to do this. They will not be the last team to do this. But I do think objectively it's, it's wrong and kind of slap in the face to the paying customers for paying major league ticket prices. In terms of Mike Elias and the Orioles specifically, where a lot of criticism has come in, I do think it's fair, is they're just giving away decent players for absolutely nothing. Um, Jonathan VR was a decent player. They DFA'd him and traded him for a non-prospect. You know, Renato Nunez did some good things. They just let him walk as well. Um, we saw even, you know, the Hander Alberto situation. That's something where, yeah, that guy could have helped you. So I think it's the idea that they're not even retaining guys who do, or not even retaining, but just giving away players who are performing okay for them for nothing. And that's where the frustration has come in. Um, there have been some positive developments. I thought that it was very, very smart of them and the right thing of them to do to keep John Means and Trey Mancini this year at the deadline, although Means' injury, I know, complicated that. We've seen Cedric Mullins come up and do some good things. But at a certain point, the Orioles do need to say, hey, it can't just be about, you know, trading for assets, trading for assets, or in their case, a lot of times, not even trading for assets or letting guys go for nothing. At a certain point, you have to keep the players who are good at doing things for you. Otherwise, the rebuild becomes endless. Um, we'll see. I actually think this upcoming offseason is going to be very, very key for the Orioles. Um, you know, I did a big study on this a few years ago for us at Baseball America. When you do a full-on rebuild, it takes minimum four years to become competitive again. And normally by year five, you need to see steps forward. If you're not seeing, seeing steps forward, your rebuild has failed and you're just going to be in another endless cycle of it. You know, 2018, everything went in the tank. Elias and co took over after that year. The 2022 season, you need to start seeing some steps forward. And by 2023, if they're still in the same spot, then the rebuild failed and they need to answer to that. Definitely. The John DeVillard trade, I know, seemed to be one that a lot of Orioles fans specifically at that time would cause a little uproar. Um, uh, I want to talk about more some prospects, uh, pick, pick the mood back up a little bit. Uh, Joey Ortiz. A guy who took a big jump, shortstop, who took a big jump, big jump in Baseball America's top 30 ranking. He, you guys have him at number 12 now. We absolutely love him too. We got to speak to Matt Blood earlier this year. Uh, he had high praise for Joey Ortiz. Uh, what kind of reports have you gotten on him that raised his stock in scouts' estimations? Yeah, so he's an incredible defender. Even going back to his days at New Mexico State, I mean, this was a guy that when people thought he wouldn't hit would still get to the major leagues just because his glove was so, so, so ridiculous. Then he came out this year and then he hit. Now he hit, it was a very, very small sample at Aberdeen. Um, he has struggled with the bat since he's been promoted to Bowie. Again, we're only talking about 16 games, so don't want to go crazy. But this is a really, really special defender. And if there's even just a little bit of hitting ability in there, then you're looking at a guy who can play a, a semi-important role for the Orioles. Again, is it a starter? Probably not, but everyone needs good reserves. You know, the old saying is bench players might not win you many games, but they can lose you a lot of games if you don't have a good bench. And the guy who can really pick it, if he can handle the bat a little bit, that's a nice player to have at your disposal. So seeing if he can continue to hit as he did earlier in the year will be big for him. But um, the, the glove alone makes him a really, really interesting player. And if the bat, again, if it shows that it was real and not just a 19-game fluke to start this season, then the Orioles might have something. Looking at another shortstop, uh, Jordan Westbrook has obviously put together a nice year. He's now on his third level, showing a good bit of power, good plate discipline. 
is he a guy that if in your mind could be in the conversation to be a top 100 prospect soon? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing with him was you're talking about a college guy who began the year in low A. And so you all have to throw what he did in low A out just because he's playing players who are below him. Um, college guys should hit 366 with a thousand OPSs in low A. But once he got to high A and performed well there, that was certainly where you say, okay, there's something real here. We got good reports on him and instructs last year. He's been up to Bowie. He's struggled. Again, it's only 17 games, small sample. There's an adjustment. Don't go crazy on it. He's someone that's definitely on the radar and certainly closer than someone, say, Kobe Mayo. Now, he's not really someone that we are looking at right now. It's, it's saying, oh, yeah, this guy is a, you know, just off the list type of top 100 prospect. So he's not number 105 or 107, but, you know, he's in the, the 150 range, you know, so we keep an eye on. And if he continues to show a little bit of what he did at high A Aberdeen, if he's able to pick it up at double A this year and into next year. Yeah, there are certainly things to like. So it's it's certainly possible you could see him on the top 100 this time next year, as long as he shows that, yes, he can handle upper level pitching. Now, coming off of today's news where Hunter Harvey was, <clears throat> excuse me, transferred to the 60 day injured list, continuing his injured streak. We were just looking at your guys' list, and we were shocked that he was even still eligible for uh, the top 30 list. So what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you, you hope he can get healthy. Uh, you never want to see any player have their career short-circuited by injuries. It, it's just really, really, really hard to see him staying healthy enough to have any sort of sustained success in Major League Baseball, given his track record. Again, He's always had a big arm. There's talent there. Um, and you hope that maybe he can get past this, but it's just been injury after injury after injury after injury. And uh, there's been a lot of really talented pitchers whose careers never became what we thought they would because of injury. And at this point, it's just hard to see Hunter Harvey staying healthy enough to make any kind of significant long-term impact for the Orioles or, or really any team in Major League Baseball. Oh, sorry, I thought Zach was going to have some there. Um, but we had, talk, speaking about Matt Blood again, Orioles Director of Player Development, we had him on our show a couple months ago, and he kept repeating the mantra, raise the floor, when talking about this system. And how just how important is this this depth that the Orioles are acquiring to a healthy minor league system uh, to go along with your Grayson Rodriguez, your D.L. Halls, your Adley Rutschmans at the top of the system? Oh, it's huge. I mean, you have to have immense prospect depth for a couple reasons. First and foremost, again, if you have – five great prospects, odds are only two of them are actually going to become, you know, legit every day above average major leaguers. And you need to have guys who can surprise you. You need to have some guys who can come up and supplement them. Everyone wants stars, but no team in major league baseball, even the Dodgers is 26 stars. It's a group of stars and a good of really good complimentary players and role players and guys who fill the gaps where needed. So yeah, I mean, the more talent you have, the better. And that's true in any any sport, any any realm we're talking about. So yeah, absolutely. You know, getting that prospect depth so that it's not just, oh, we're relying on our top couple guys, and if they don't pan out or if they get hurt, we're totally screwed. You, you never want that. So the depth is incredibly important. And then also for trades, we've seen a couple of teams most recently, the Padres, for example, turn their immense prospect depth into standout major league players through trades. So um, you want to have them for the have it for those two reasons, and and a big part of the Orioles ranking as high as they do, yes, Rutschman and Rodriguez, and really also you know Gunnar Henderson and DL Hall being top 100 guys. That's a big reason why they're number two in our system 
rankings. But you also look and you say, hey, you know, guys five through 10 right now, or, you know, if you go five to 11 even, have some promise too. So it's not just about the top, it's about both. You need stars, you need depth. That's true whether you're building a major league roster or a farm system. And uh, the Orioles, like every other team, just keep trying to add as much talent into the system as they can. All right, final question, and then we'll let you go. Again, we really appreciate your time. Uh, going into the 2021 draft, there seemed to be a lot of hype and attention surrounding the high school bats and the college arms, but the Orioles stuck to their heavy college hitter approach. Um, what are your general impressions about the Orioles draft strategy, and how did how did you think they fared with this year's group? Yeah, so I think there's always a concern when a team goes under slot in uh, the top of the draft two years in a row. Um, that's a chance to get premium players, and we have seen over – the general course of recent draft history that your best bet is to take the best player when you have a top five overall pick, take the best player and just pay him. At the same time, um, if the Orioles believe that Colton Kowser was an equivalent player to some of the others available at that draft slot and they felt they could get him for uh, a lesser bonus, which they obviously did, then you understand it. Um, he is a good hitter. A lot of people liked. Uh, we saw the same thing with Heston Kirstad last year as well, obviously, Chris has been sidelined by myocarditis, but there are cases where teams will take a guy who shouldn't have been in their top 10 consideration super high. The Orioles haven't quite done that. Kowser and Kerstad were both guys teams thought were top 10, top tight, you know, top 12 type talents. The Orioles just went a little higher and, and got them under slot. So you know, we'll, we'll see. Trying to grade a draft uh, any sooner than five years after it's happened is, is a fool's errand. We need to see how this plays out. But I would say in general, there, there is some skepticism about, yeah, you know, going under slot with guys this high in the draft two years in a row is a risky strategy that history tells us does not pay off. People talk about, oh, you want to spread the risk around. No, if you have a chance to take a stud, get a stud. But we'll see how it all shakes out. Well, Kyle, thank you again for joining us tonight. And before you go, uh, do you want to tell our listeners about any content you have coming up and where they can follow you on Twitter? Yeah, yes. We've got a lot coming up at Baseball America. Uh, we've got our league top tens coming up soon. So the top ten prospects in every full season and short season league in the minors. The short season leagues now are only the complex leagues. But uh, we've got those lists coming out. I believe we're turning them in uh, in a week or so. So they should be coming out later this month. And then it's end of the year awards time, picking our minor league player of the year, picking our uh, classification all-stars, picking our all minor league teams, and eventually our all major league teams, our all rookie team. Uh, it's a lot of fun, the end of the year award season. And then that leads right into our uh, top 10 prospects and the prospect handbook. And the Orioles being uh, an East Division team will have their top 10 prospects drop uh, in the first uh, issue that we do, uh, top 10 prospects, uh, which should be the November issue. So it's all coming up and there's lots of good stuff coming to BA. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. Um, Kyle Glazer of Baseball America, who kind enough to join us tonight. And we'll pivot now to the big news of the day, which is the promotion of Michael Ballman to the major leagues. Um, we've been speculating about this for a while, seeing the possibility of him making that jump after a good start down at Norfolk. Um, and now he's arrived in the major leagues. I'll start with Nick here. Uh, what's your reaction to Ballman uh, getting promoted and how do you hope the Orioles use him the rest of the way? Oh man, I gotta like decompress from that, from that interview first for a little bit. Um, but no, with Bowman, yeah, I was I'm pretty jacked. I'm pretty excited. Uh, like I said, the, the Orioles win before he came on. I said the Orioles win. I'm gonna be watching them 
every night from here on out to watch Zach Lowther, Alex Wells, Bauman, Jemai Jones. Um, you know, whether it's a bullpen starter, I, I don't care. I'm just excited to see him up in the major leagues. He was just so dominant in 2019. And I think we all assumed that he'd be in the majors at this point. Uh, but I think that injury from the alt site, I don't know if it just lingered a little bit longer or whether it just took him a little bit longer to gain his confidence back. I'm not sure, but he's been on fire down there in, in the month of August in Norfolk. Um, you know, and you know, Kyle mentioned the walks that we've seen at the AAA level, and he did have 13 walks this month, but six of them came in one outing, and he finished his last outing with six innings and no or one walk, seven strikeouts. So I think, yeah, I think he does have what it takes to be a starter at the major league level, and now this is uh, the beginning of his long road. But also, like Kyle said, uh, don't expect immediate success, and if he struggles, it's it's okay. But Michael Bowen's got good stuff, and, and he's he's big Mike for a reason. Yeah, it might have been warm out today, but I feel okay after that nice dose of cold water that just got thrown on me. <laughs> no, Bauman, yeah, I'm super excited to see what he can do. Like you said, you know, it might not be lights out, but maybe he can pitch as well as Dean Kramer did and then maybe not, you know, kill our hopes and dreams next year over a course of a full season. But, you know, I just like to see him come up and get their feet wet. And this is kind of like a preview of what hopefully next year will be all year round with a bunch of young guys coming up and, and making their debuts and trying to establish themselves. And he's, he's going to be good. I, it, like you said, it might not be right away, but I am pretty confident at the very least he will be a very solid reliever. I agreed with what Kyle said when we asked him about this, that you stick with him in the rotation for as long as you can, because the Orioles need starting pitching depth. You know, they can find someone who has, a good fastball and a good slider to pitch in the back end of the bullpen. They need a starter. So, and you know, up until the injury um, at the alt site last summer, Bauman had stayed fairly healthy and had shown he could handle a good workload. So if that injury is not, you know, a sign of things to come with him, I think he can handle it from a durability perspective. And as long as he can put together, you know, two and a half, three decent pitches, uh, in most of his outings, I think he's going to be fine right in the middle of that rotation. I agree. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, between him, Lothar Wells, you know, one of these guys is hopefully going to step up and, and take the reins. And hopefully, you know, you, you for, it's easy to forget about Bruce Zimmerman with his broken ankle and injured shoulder or whatever. So coming into next year, you know, you should at least be able to find a couple guys that should get consistent starts every five days. And I think with me for Bauman, I think the biggest thing for me is that he has, I believe, outside of Rodriguez and Hall, I believe he has the highest floor in the system and a floor that's high that I don't think a lot of other pitchers in the system have. I mean, there may be other pitchers who might have higher ceilings than Michael Bowen, but that floor as a solid just fastball slider reliever is is there. And I think it's a very safe floor as well. So, I mean, as safe as it can be with a pitching prospect. So I think for that reason, that makes me even more excited uh, for Bama, but I do agree. Go ahead. Uh, maybe next year. Right now, I'm fine with just get some innings under your belt. There's only what, like three, four weeks left in the regular season. Uh, let's see what you can do. But yeah, next season, I would hopefully like to see him win one of those starting rotation spots because that will give me a lot of more hope and optimism if Bauman can come out and not just because the Orioles don't go out and sign a starting pitching free agents uh, this offseason, which hopefully they do, but that Bauman actually goes out there in spring and earns that opportunity next February, March. Completely. Yeah, we talk. Oh, sorry, Zach. I was just going to make one more point real quick. We talk about Blaine Knight, Cody Sedlock, these guys that could be, you know, solid two pitch relievers. I think Bauman's like the the alpha of that model that Elias seems to be building for the bullpen. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, you know, whatever he does the rest of the way here, because there is so little time left, it's really not indicative of what their long-term plans are for him. Um, but if they could build him up um, to come into camp competing for a rotation spot and we see him go north next year as a number five starter, I'll be thrilled. Absolutely. And because that also means that they did bring in some pitching and hopefully something better than, you know, Matt Harvey or something like that. Hey, still getting starts every five days. So <laughs> give him that. Yeah. And I think you mentioned number five starter. Like even if Bauman does become uh, that number five starter, I don't think a lot of what Kyle said with a lot of these guys is anything really new, really? Because, I mean, we've talked about, you know, even your Drew Roms and your Alex Wells, your Zach Lauthers, I mean, keep going on and on about some of these guys. I think we've always viewed them as potential back-end pieces. And really, it's only been Rodriguez and Hall that we viewed as potential ace-type stuff. Bauman may be a mid-rotation guy at best, uh, but there's so many of these arms that some of them have to hit. One of them has to hit, two, just two. I can think of probably 12 I can list off right now. And if just two of them hits as a number four, number five starter, like that is a win. Like you mentioned you have John Means. That I think the Orioles do sign to an extension. And I think, you know, he's not a future ace of the Orioles, but he is a guy who is a major league piece for many years to come, hopefully. And you go off and you sign two really good free agents and you have a, a major league rotation that's going to win you a lot of games. So, you know, I don't think anything new there. It's just the depth is so big here for the Orioles that we have yeah. a lot of different options now. And it's it's also good to keep in mind that when he says <clears throat> fourth or fifth starter, that's for a competitive baseball team, not yeah. what we're seeing now with the Orioles. You know, keep that in yeah. mind when Joey Ortiz might not be a starter on the next playoff team, but he'd probably be the number four hitter <laughs> starting every day shortstop right now. You know, keep in mind that. Yeah, exactly. When you're you know when you're trying to project these things, especially when you're looking at the Orioles as the number two system in the game. And, you know, that switch has to flip at some point here soon for them to start being more competitive. You have to figure out, you know, where does this guy fit into a competitive team? You don't want to try to fit him into what the Orioles are right now, because let's face it, half of Bowie's roster would be an upgrade (laughs) over most of the Orioles roster. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So on that note, speaking of Bowie, I do want to get into some of the big promotions that were announced yesterday. And that includes the move of Kyle Stowers from Bowie to Norfolk and Miss A.L. Day Sohn making the jump from the Florida Complex League to Delmarva. Um, Stowers, I think that everything there is just evident in the stats. He's leading the farm system in home runs. We're seeing the walks go up. You still get the strikeouts, but showing that he's a more complete hitter than maybe we expected coming into the year. And Day Sohn is probably one of the guys that's really risen on our radar. Uh, just in the last two months or so. So I'll start with Bob here. Um, with Stowers and Dayson making the move up, um, just your reaction and what you're interested in seeing from them over the final weeks of the season. Really, I'm just surprised and excited that it even happened with so little time left on the season. Stowers a little bit less so, but especially Dayson with only two weeks, I think, left with low A. I guess they just want to get him a head start. They must view him as the most ready out of that bunch. They want to get him up there, get him in a competitive environment with a very fun Delmarva team right now. So it's going to be really fun to see his speed and all-around tools play in a center field with a bunch of great guys and building some chemistry. And whether he starts next year back at Delmarva or jumps up to Aberdeen with some of these guys, that's just really exciting to see. I'm, I'm very interested to see how he does. And Stowers, I think it's more just a reward for such a great season and 
so much improvement that he's made and let him get his feet wet in AAA and then go into the offseason ready to try to compete for a job, which obviously I don't think he would get, but he'll be knocking on the door early 2022 potentially if he keeps this up. Yeah, Deshaun is it's definitely just a, an opportunity for the, these last two weeks here. You get to play with Colton Cowser. You get to play with uh, this pretty stacked outfield uh, of recent draft picks that the Orioles have down there. And it's a team that's winning. And so he seems to be like a big personality guy as well from everything we've read. You know, the, the Joe Trezza piece earlier on in the year uh, hyped up his personality. He's a really fun loving guy and kind of, uh, you know, I don't get yeah, a lot of personality there. I'm trying to say, um, but it is, he's probably not going to play a whole lot with Del Marva, but it is going to be exciting just to finally get eyes on him and see him. Like, unfortunately, uh, we can't live the life that Eric Garfield lives and get to watch these young, exciting prospects every single day. And as jealous as I am, uh, we at least get to watch hopefully a couple of at bats with Del Marva. Uh, but with Stowers, you know, I wrote a new piece up on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com today that just looked at a handful of guys, three guys that saw their stocks climb the most this year. And I looked at, guys in the upper levels of the minor leagues who I think we could see in 2022 make some noise. And Stowers is at the top of that list because, yes, the strikeouts are high. And you're about a 30% strikeout rate in AA, which was about a 4 or 5% drop from his high numbers. Uh, but he leads the organization with 24 home runs. The power has been there. He's walking at a pretty good rate, so he's getting on base. And he's hitting for a high average as well. So it's not like he's striking out 30% of the time. And hitting you know 245 in Bowie, he was hitting you know 280 plus uh, in Bowie and like 60 almost 70 games. Uh, so yeah, is he a future starting right fielder for the Baltimore Orioles? I don't know, but at least I think he has a solid floor of a, a good platoon piece on a future Orioles roster. And that power from the left side at Camden Yards, like, it's going to be dangerous. Just looking generally speaking, how concerned are you guys about the strikeouts? Um, because it was really the big question mark with him coming into this year. Um, and it hasn't really gone away, but it feels like the overall hit tool and the plate approach are maybe better than we expected. Mm, I think Bob left. Um, or I froze. I don't know which one. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bob was say- just connected. He'll be back in a moment, hopefully. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to say like on a scale of one to 10, my concern with 10 being like extremely concerned, I'm going to say right now, I'm going to put it at like a six, six and a half. Like it is concerning because that is a large number of strikeouts, but let's see what he does at AAA. And I, we keep, I know we keep going back like on the board in our chat, looking at that conversation we had with Ryan Fuller, Orioles hitting coordinator down there in Bowie. And just, this is kind of what they're preaching to the hitters. Like, it's okay if you strike out, you might strike out and go and you're 0 for 3 with, with two strikeouts and a fly ball, but you might win the day uh, as they put it uh, because you're swinging after your pitches. And so I think that, you know, yes, that strikeouts aren't going to magically decrease when a guy like Sowers gets to the major league level, but let's just see what he can do first. And if he can lower that to, you know, 25%, uh, then I think that'd be great. As long as he continues to get on base and hit a high number of home runs. Yeah. I don't expect the strikeouts to go away, but I, you know, our conversation with Ryan Fuller, I thought it was kind of interesting because it sort of, for me, I think touched on what is going on with the Orioles development strikeouts, which is the perception that comes out of mainly some of their draft picks in the last few years, the Orioles don't care about strikeouts. I think that's true to a point, but I think there's also a more nuanced approach to it where they want you looking for a pitch you can drive. They want you to work the count um, and they want guys who I think can draw walks. And we've seen Stowers do that this year, even with the high strikeout rate. So he's almost sort of to me a, 
yeah, I don't want to pin a whole development model on one player, but he's an interesting case study in can the Orioles take a guy that strikes out a lot, probably always going to strike out a lot, but make them a more complete hitter. So Bob has rejoined us now. And um, just to catch up, Bob, I don't know exactly where you dropped, but we were talking about uh, whether or not the strikeout totals with Kyle Stowers are concerning uh, for you. A little bit for me, but I think for the Orioles, it's like they don't care. It just seems like that's part of what they drafted him for. They drafted him for the power. I don't think they cared about the strikeouts for some reason. I We know the reason. It's because the three true outcome baseball is coming more and more uh, up to in vogue, I should say. And But for me, I think it could limit, you know, his upside if he can't rein it in a little bit at least uh, once he gets to the major league level and the pitchers are a little more able to command and, and all that stuff. But if he can keep his walk total where it is and just give it his A power swing when the ball's in his zone, even if he swings and misses 80% of the time, when he connects, it's going to go a long distance. So, And I think it's okay to have, you know, two of those guys in your major league lineup. You know, if, Let's say if Kerstad is that guy as well, strikeouts were seem to be an issue with him in college. Let's say he does get healthy and he climbs up the system pretty quickly, and you have two Kerstad Stowers type hitters in the system, but you also have a lot of you know more and more Connor Norby type hitters coming up through the system as well that you can surround them with. So I think if you know, and Ali Rutschman is a guy who's not going to strike out a whole lot. He hasn't so far. Uh, pretty low high walk rates. So you got a lot of guys in the system coming up who draw a high number of walks as well. So these guys are still getting on base. Again, I mentioned like, you know, a lot of these guys aren't hitting 220, 230. So the batting average has also been there. So that's why I'm putting it, you know, a six, six and a half. And when they get to the majors, if it's still that bad, then we go, you know, nuclear to a 10. <laughs> yeah. And burn it all down again. Yeah. I, I think that's a good point, Nick, that it's not like every hitter in the Orioles farm system fits this mold. Yeah, there are a few, and maybe there is a little bit more there than you would like to see, but it doesn't tell the whole story of the farm system because you've got guys like Norby and Rutzman. Taryn Vabra uh, is not going to strike out a lot. I don't think Colton Kowser is ever going to have an issue with strikeouts. I I really don't. And so when you have guys like that, it's okay if, you know, Heston Kerstad or Kyle Stowers or even Ryan Mountcastle is your 30 home run bat in the middle of your contending, te- you know, contending team lineup that happens to strike out a lot and are probably among the league leaders in strikeouts every year. You know, and that's a great point you bring up with Mountcastle. I mean, he's basically the right-handed version of what Stowers might be able to be. You know, he's going to strike out. He might not walk. Well, Stowers might walk a lot more than even Mountcastle, but he might have more power than him. And as long as he can get the bat to the ball anywhere near as close to as much as Mountcastle does, that's going to have a lot of value. So we'll move on now to our final segment of the show, where we take a look at players outside of our top 30 uh, farm system rankings over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. And we talk about uh, something that has stood out, whether it's a good game, good week, good month, whatever, and just give these players a shout out. So we're going to start with Nick, who has a player that has really been impressive at Delmarva uh, over the last few weeks. Yeah, I think this was an obvious one, uh, obvious pick for one of us. Uh, Billy Cook, outfielder slash first baseman slash DH down at Delmarva, uh, only went five for 23 last week, so a 217 average. But September 4th, that game was pretty historic. I don't care if it's against low A guy. I don't care who it is against. Uh, he's a professional baseball player who went four for five with three home runs. Two of them were grand slams. 
a double and nine RBIs. Uh, two of the home runs, his solo shot and second grand, second grand slam came in the same inning. Uh, he was a 10th round pick out of Pepperdine this year, and I don't have any sort of read on him yet, to be honest. Uh, he's not someone that I've paid a whole lot of attention to so far because there's so many names on there, Delmarva, but that game was unbelievable. Uh, he's gotten a lot of extra base hits since he's joined Delmarva, and he's eight for eight in stolen bases. So, you know, maybe this is a, a younger Tyler Nevin type player. I, I don't know, but that was congratulations on that fantastic game. Yeah, we heard a lot about the speed uh, with Billy Cook coming out in the draft, but there's been more power there than there's been some power there. I think a little bit more than anybody might have expected. Yeah, absolutely. And if you listen to, I think I can't remember which coach Connor uh, Newcomb had on his show when talking about Billy Cook. I think it was last week, but he mentioned that the power is there and that he's an explosive athlete that could continue to improve. So, yeah, that in that one game you saw, I guess, a hundred percent percentile outcome as Kyle Glazer mentioned for a fifth starter. So yeah, that was uh, very exciting to see. So my pick and for was, this week, was, Oh, go ahead, Nick. No, sorry. I was freaking out there. I was going to say Carolina has hands down. I love the Orioles broadcast, my league broadcast. Shout out to them. Shout out to all of them. But Carolina Mudcats had a fantastic uh, broadcast with spin rates, exit velos, uh, pitch velocity, all of it. And those guys were hitting the ball extremely hard. A lot of 108s, 109s. We saw 110s from Kobe Mayo. I think uh, Billy Cook had a couple like 108s as well in his home run hits. So like that's that's impressive. You, you talk about guys, outfielders, college bats with high exit velos. We're seeing that in action now. These guys that Elias have been targeting in the, in the draft. Yeah, real shout out to and the Mudcats for putting together a quality broadcast. Yeah, that's the one thing that we don't really – that we're missing and and – uh, I heard that that's going to be added to StatCast, the minor league data, sometime soon. But, yeah, the stats tell one story. But if you're able to hit the ball 110 miles an hour, you're able to hit the ball 110 miles an hour. So that's very important information to have as far as projecting. So moving on now to my pick for this week, and that's Jake Lyons, who just got the promotion from Delmarva to Aberdeen. Lyons uh, put together some solid numbers during his time at Delmarva, striking out 85 batters in 68 in the third innings. He uh, capped his time at Delmarva with a 10-strikeout performance against Carolina on September 2nd, uh, pitching four and a third innings. Now, the walks with Lions were a little bit high. He did walk 34 batters over that stretch. But for the 2019 draftee out of uh, Oklahoma State, he was chosen in the 22nd round that year, put together good numbers at Delmarva, and now makes a jump to Aberdeen. Yeah, I think I saw, uh, speaking of Connor Newcomb, shout out to him. I think he he shared one of the videos that we posted that outing and noted the the Lucas Giolito kind of short arm uh, action he had there. So uh, if you want a, a player comp there, not talent-wise, uh, shout out to Jake Lyons, but we're not talking Jake uh, Lucas Giolito talent-wise, but as far as a throw in motion, uh, just, yeah, a great performance. He's been hot as he's closed out the year. So shout out to him. I love seeing these pitchers that the Orioles drafted in the later rounds of the draft. Uh, kind of pan out and start to reach the upper levels of the minor leagues a little bit. And let's let's see what they got, because a lot of the relievers I know in that 2019 class have kind of burned me a little bit. So we'll see what Lyons does as he finishes the year in high. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if he's going to get starts in, with Aberdeen or pitch out of the bullpen, but he's definitely got strikeout stuff. And we'll see. He's part of that 2019 bulk um pitching class there at the end of the end of the draft so probably a reliever profile as most Elias pitchers tend to be but definitely exciting the way he was striking out batters last week 
And then I guess I'll just roll right into my pick, which is uh, the guy on the low A Delmarva roster who's been there all year. And it's like, yeah, all these 2021 draft picks are coming up, but don't forget about me. Over the past 15 uh, days, Daryl Hernandez is batting 385 with a 799 OPS. Still not hitting for power, but he is hitting the ball. He's got a decent hit tool. He's getting putting it into play and getting hits. Uh, still not walking as much as he did in the GCL a couple years ago, but I just like to see him uh, continue to perform pretty well here with a 270-ish average on the season. Yeah, I think I mentioned before how it seems. I think he has had like a couple stretches of 20, 30 game on base streaks this season. And, but it's a lot of, you know, one for fours, one for fives, or 0 for threes with a walk to extend that streak. But, and he just turned 20 years old last month. And so he, you're still looking at a guy who's like two years younger than the competition in Delmarva. And this was his first full season in minor league ball. So I think maybe those draft picks did kind of push him a little bit. So he doesn't lose that, that spot on the roster. But, it's still a very, very young guy that's intriguing for me, at least, and maybe starts the next year in high A, where he's he's still worth a look, I think, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I could see him kind of being that high floor type player where maybe you are looking at a reserve option down the line at worst because he has a good glove. He has good contact skills. I don't know what happened to the walks because he walked so much in the Gulf Coast League in 2019, but it's barely drawn a walk. Uh, this year at Delmarva, and I don't know how to explain that. But overall, you know, for how for as young as he is, and for the fact that there is a solid foundation there with his skill set, he's absolutely a guy that should stay on the radar when you're looking at middle infield depth. Definitely, Adam Hall's not helping his case, so. <laughs> yeah, I could see Daryl Hernandez coming in next year, being the Joey Ortiz, like balked up, put on some muscle, kind of breaking out a tiny bit with the power compared to this year. Yeah, exactly. So that does it for us this week at On the Verge. Um, oh, real quick, Bob, do we have any uh, Patreon shout outs this week? That is a good question. Let me pull that up. But I want to just say real quick while I'm doing that, that to keep in mind with Kyle Glazer, he did a great job and he gives a different perspective here. You know, he still agrees that the Orioles are a number two system in baseball, relatively close to being number one. So I think he is more of a major league guy. He's looking at it more on the perspective of, you know, a competitive major league team and the top of a prospect ranking. And it's definitely a different and good perspective than we're used to giving. But I, I really appreciated hearing what he had to say. But here I have the latest patrons. When was our last episode? <laughs> the 30th. Okay. Yeah, I have. we have definitely some guys here. We have Justin Bittner has signed up. Everett Seigel. Seigel. Pat Sparks, shout out to him, Lamar Sparks, killing it in Aberdeen. Brian Smith, Tim Cook, Eric Caps, uh, John McLeod, and Jess Belank. Those are all the new ones. Well, thank you to uh, our patrons for our support, and thank you to all of our listeners for uh, continuing to follow us here along this season uh, and for checking out not just us, but BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, where you can get the latest coverage on the Orioles, Ravens, uh, Terps and more. Be sure to hop on the discussion board. As Nick mentioned earlier in the show, he has a new piece up. Bob has pieces weekly. I should have some coming soon. So be sure to look out for that and continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Birds. Um, in the lead up to next week's show, where we are scheduled to be joined by John Mioli of the Baltimore Sun. We're really looking forward to having John on. Um, but uh, so just in the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Birds. 
For Bob Phil and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.